Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Romans chapter 1. And by the way, I'll just throw this in since I'm, since I'm making friends left and right. Let's make a few more. If you're looking in live stream this morning and you need live stream, welcome. And thank you that you're looking in. If you're looking in this morning and you could be here and you've gotten lazy and you've become a couch Christian, then shame on you. Now, thank you for looking in, but shame on you. The Bible says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Sitting in your living room with your spouse isn't the assembling of yourselves together. Now, if you need to, or you're sick, or you can't make it for whatever reason, that's why it's there. That's why it's there. Amen. All right. We're, we're just setting them up and knocking them down this morning, aren't we? Yeah, this is the end of your search for the friendliest church. <laughs> Amen. Well, what do we come to church for anyways? Do we come to get corrected or just pat it on the head? This current culture, we're so used to getting patted on the head. I, I'm not, I need to get to my message. I know that, but they got this phenomenon called trophy kids now. Everybody's growing up as a trophy kid. You got to get congratulated for everything you do. You know, you tied your shoes. Awesome, man, you tied your shoes. You know, and then these, people, these kids go into the workforce, and if they're not employee of the week every week, they don't want to work. Nowadays, if you come to work every day you're supposed to for a month, you'll be running the company. How many of you are old enough to remember when you came to work every day you were supposed to come to work, you got to keep your job? <laughs> that was your reward. <clears throat> But we're living, in a, and, and, and believe, believe it, it, it affects all of us. Don't think you're immune. Everybody's, you know, patted on the head for, for doing what they should do. And uh, what, a, what a contrast from, the, uh, from what uh, Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation, the World War II generation. I don't know if it was the greatest generation, but I do know this about them. The things they did... The sacrifices they made at home, the women and children, and the, the men that fought uh, to push back tyranny, both the tyranny of Japan and the tyranny of Germany in those days. And you know what most of them thought? Just doing our job. They didn't want any pats on the back. How many stories I've heard of families uh, cleaning up the drawers of one of these soldiers and after they died and finding all these medals they didn't even know they had? Those guys just put them in the drawer and just figured they had done their job. We just live in a whole different, whole different generation. So, I mean, I'm not here to beat you up, okay? Don't misunderstand. I, I do have a people-pleaser personality, okay? I want everybody to like me. And I say, well, boy, with what you've been doing this morning, you're not, you're not likely to be a very happy person. <laughs> no, I mean, I really do. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything negative to you if it was up to me, but it's not up to me. Okay, I'm supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And that doesn't always mean reprove out of the Bible, exhort out of the Bible, correct out of the Bible. Sometimes you just have to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, period. And so, I don't know about you, but when somebody corrects me when I'm going the wrong way, I'm thankful for that. At least I should be. And if I'm not thankful, then I need to check my spirit. All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 1. I want to talk to you this morning on, on what is arguably, <clears throat> on the doctrinal side of things, 
what is arguably on the doctrinal side of things, the most important information you can have from the Word of God. And I mean that from the standpoint of a lost person. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and you're looking in this morning or, or you're here, uh, there's nothing more important that I can bring you than what I'm going to bring you this morning. If you're saved this morning, doctrinally speaking, as far as your understanding of salvation and where you stand with God, and, and, and keeping you on track to finish the race, I cannot give you anything more important than what we're going to look at this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about what I call the shun words. The shun words. The Bible says in Psalm 85, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. John chapter 1 says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. These words that we're going to talk about this morning, justification, imputation, adoption, redemption, propitiation, reconciliation, regeneration, salvation, remission, glorification, resurrection, are the words that literally birthed our nation after it produced the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. There's a direct line of spiritual, moral, ethical, and governmental descent from what took place in the formation of our nation back to Europe and the Protestant Reformation. And without the truths that these words represent and how they sparked the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, we may never have had our country as we know it. Church history, as well as secular history, if it's taught honestly, bears that truth out. Now, these are words that are fast disappearing from the modern ministry. The modern ministry is uh, just some general idea about, you know, asking Jesus to come into our lives and most of the preaching is on the surface and in what most people would consider practical. By the way, I believe Bible doctrine is practical. Uh, I believe these 11 words we're going to look at, if you have a good understanding of them, uh, they will change the way you live. They will change the way you think. In fact, they'll change the way you sleep. I believe doctrine is just as practical as anything else. Most of these words deal with the legal or judicial aspects of salvation. When we think of salvation, there were things that were done to us. And there were things that were done for us. And most of these words are going to fall in those two categories. Things that were done to us and for us. Now, we're going to look at a word or two that take it to a, to a different path, and that is the word regeneration, for one, and these are things that are done in us, and they produce the fruit of the Spirit. Let's take a look at the first one, and it's found in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. By the way, 
when I said all those other things, I'm going to claim Brother Rogers' um, uh, theory. If I'm smiling, you can't get mad at me. I know it works better for him. I, I understand that. But not everybody can be Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, look at verse 14. Paul says, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So in much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, uh, to the Jew first and also uh, to the Greek. And by the way, that's how the gospel went out in the book of Acts. First to the Jews, most of Jesus' earthly ministry was to the Jews, and then ultimately to the Greek or the Gentiles. That'd be most of us here in the room this morning, and that was through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. But notice verse 17. Verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In this verse, we see the Bible doctrine of justification by faith. This verse that you just looked at in verse 17 was Martin Luther's text of enlightenment in 1517. When he, as a Dominican monk, had been doing everything he knew to do and was taught to do, including pilgrimages to Rome, uh, fasting, more to the point of starving, self-flagellation, self-deprivation. And uh, as a Dominican monk, he, he had reached the end of his rope. Fortunately, he had a mentor, a fellow named Staupitz, and whether this man was saved or not, I don't know. But he encouraged Luther to study the scriptures. Now you say, well, what, what's the big deal about advice like that? In, in, in dark age, uh, Europe, under Catholicism, uh, that was a big deal. People were not encouraged to read the Bible and study the Bible the way we understand reading and studying the Bible. And so Luther began to read the Bible and and, and, and the more he worked, the more miserable he, he became. In fact, at one point, he was asked about his love for God. He says, love God? He said, I hate him. Luther was never anybody to mince words, either before he was saved or after he was saved. When he launched the Protestant Reformation, unintentionally, by the way, because all he wanted to do was just see some reform within the church and the gospel preached, uh, the Pope would threaten him with papal bulls, B-U-L-L, they called them in those days. I always thought that was pretty appropriate. But he'd threaten them with bulls and declaration, and, and, and for a while during his life, most of his life after his conversion, uh, he was hounded, and, and the threat of death was on him all the time uh, by the, the organized church-state system. And uh, Luther was looking at verse 17 one day, and then it dawned on him, the just shall live by faith. He, he, it was his text of enlightenment. He realized that justification came by faith and not all these works that he was trying to do to earn salvation. And from that, we had the Protestant Reformation. And as I said earlier, without going into too much church history, there's a direct line between the Protestant Reformation 
and those that came to our country and, and what we have today. Uh, take your Bibles and flip over a couple more pages to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, justification by faith. When you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, God justified you in his own eyes. It was done in his courtroom. He slammed the gavel down and declared you just. Now, most of us didn't know that when we got saved. We were mostly uh, consumed with how we felt about it and our perception of it. But that's literally what took place in God's courtroom. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, therefore being justified, there's that word, uh, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now look at the uh, so-called practical aspect of this right there in verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'm here to say this morning that if all you understood about your salvation after receiving Christ as your Savior, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, if all you understood about your salvation is this concept of justification by faith, you could, with the Apostle Paul, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Can I say to you this morning, your assurance has nothing to do with how you feel about it. It has nothing to do with how you feel about it. It's not unlike when we were talking about 1 John 1, 9 and confessing our sins. So often we'll confess our sins and the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and it's taken care of, it's settled, our fellowship with God is renewed and then we'll walk away feeling guilty because we didn't forgive ourselves. And it's no different here. When it comes to the judicial aspects of salvation, you say, what does justification by faith feel like? Well, it in and of itself doesn't feel like anything. It's something that took place in God's courtroom. But the knowledge of it, if you look at verse 2, says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So it will cause you to stand instead of fall. It will cause you to stand instead of stumble. Look what he says. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What a wonderful truth. Justification by faith. And uh, by the way, if you look at verse 1, it says, it says that being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, it's a present possession. It's a present possession. Folks, up in God's uh, file cabin, if he has one, and uh, I, I, I think, you know, he may have converted over to hard drives or even the cloud, but however he's keeping track of the legal transactions. Uh, if you've ever been in a lawyer's office, you ever visit uh, Bob Aldridge, one thing I noticed, I've sat across his desk and there's these stacks of these uh, manila folders. And there's stack after stack after stack. And, and you have to do this so you can talk to him. And I don't know how God does it up there, but he keeps track of this stuff. He keeps track of it. And folks, that's an assurance of your salvation. God's not going to go back on this. God's never going to unjustify you. 
He's never going to do it. You've already been acquitted. You've already been justified. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can affect that. It was God's judicial act, and it is a present possession. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Present possession, folks. Present possession. Uh, by the way, the new Bibles, if you look at verse 1, they change where it says we have peace with God. Uh, they change that to let us have peace with God. Folks, this isn't the let us kind of peace. The let us kind of peace is the peace of God that passes all understanding. When you keep your faith in the God of peace when you're going through turmoil and God gives you his peace like, like Brother Han was talking about in Sunday school. That's not the kind of peace we're talking about here. This peace is the enmity between us and God removed judicially and we're declared just and we're acquitted and we're right with God in his courtroom. Folks, when someone is acquitted, when someone is acquitted, uh, someone might meet them on the street and say, hey, I know what you were accused of and I think you did it and this and that. It doesn't matter if they've been acquitted. What counts is not what the man on the street thinks, it's what the judge thinks. And so we have justification by faith. It's a judicial act that takes place in God's court and there are no feelings involved. Flip back over to Romans chapter 4 and let's look at the next one. And this next one is called imputation. Imputation, chapter 4 and verse 6. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Imputation. When we are justified by faith, God puts to the credit, he puts to the credit of us Christ's righteousness. He imputes it to us. Now, it's not something we earned, and it's not something we had. It's not something we purchased, but it was imputed to us. It was gifted to us. It was credited to our account. And not only did he impute Christ's righteousness to us, but he charged the Lord Jesus Christ with our sins. He charged Christ with our sins. Notice, notice in verse 6, notice in verse 6 that this righteousness is imputed without works. Without works. Do you know that's the hardest thing for a religious person to get? I, I believe hell is going to be filled with religious people that could not let go of the idea that their righteousness was as a filthy rag. They could not let go of the idea that God said, you can't earn it, your efforts are an insult to me. And by the way, they are. The idea that you can become 
righteous enough to get to heaven, as righteous as, as God through your own efforts. And then they reject the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. They reject that free gift because they insist they're going to earn it. It is imputed righteousness without works. And notice in verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he, God the Father, hath made him to be sin for us that, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. To be sin for us. He was made sin for us. He was imputed our sin. That we might be made. We might be made. To be made. He imputed us his righteousness. We often refer to this as part of what's called the exchanged life. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me give you an Old Testament example of imputed righteousness. Something totally undeserved. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Numbers and turn to Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. And quickly, the context of this is that Israel is in the wilderness. They're wandering around in the wilderness. Something that should have taken them uh, uh, 40 days to get into the promised land is now going to end up 40 years until the whole generation that refused to go in is killed off. And, and God is having to deal with them left and right about things like idolatry and complaining and murmuring. And it, it just goes on and on and on to the point where God had to literally kill thousands of them for their wickedness and their disobedience. And uh, uh, this, this, fella, uh, this fella, Balak, uh, the king of Moab, wants, wants them to be cursed, and, and he brings this, this prophet Balaam to curse Israel. And of course, God wouldn't do it uh, because in spite of their sin, they had imputed righteousness. Uh, there were still some blessings on them judicially. There were still some things that they could not sin away. And, and here's an example of this. Here's an example of this. If you look at chapter 23 and look at verse 19, and, and this, is, this is Balak prophesying here, and he says in verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless. That is to bless Israel. And he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Look at verse 21. I want you to notice that first phrase in verse 21. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Do you know, that's got to drive the devil nuts about us. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, and, and not unlike in the book of Job, he shows up, uh, at the, the precipice of heaven uh, near the throne of God and, and, he, and he starts arguing with God about us. And he said, Lord, you know what he did this week. I'm here to claim him back. I, I'm here to tell you that he needs to go to hell. And, and you know what God says? Look at verse 21. I haven't beheld iniquity in, and go ahead and put your name there. Isn't that great? 
You know why that is? Because you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ and you have imputed righteousness. And judicially, when he sees you, he sees his son. Now, don't misunderstand. Someone once said, sin never leaves you the way it found you. And, and that sin can break our fellowship with the Lord. But judicially, nothing can change our standing with God in Jesus Christ. Now, your state can be another, uh, can be another uh, uh, subject, and we'll get to that. But uh, uh, look at this. He says, he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Had not beheld iniquity in Jacob. God's had to kill a bunch of them. <laughs> and uh, uh, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord is God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. Let's look at the next one. Go to Galatians chapter 4. We have justification by faith. We have imputed righteousness, imputation. Now go to the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4. Like I said before, we, we live in this current Christian culture where all the the scuttlebutt on the ministry is that, you know, people want to be dumbed down. They don't want the Bible. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I, I, I believe that if you're here this morning, you want to be a soldier of the cross. And, and you're willing to do a little studying. Amen? And so that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Someone asked one time, what was that, what was that Urim and Thummim back there in the Old Testament? What was that all about? I believe I know what it's about. When Urim and Thummim through the Bible, God's going to show you something. Amen? You can go to the bank on that one. Amen. Adoption. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come... God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now again, this is a legal thing done in God's courtroom, but notice the practical effect of it. We have that spirit of his son in us, that spirit of adoption, and we cry out, Abba, Father. That Abba is a term of endearment. Maybe in your home it was Papa. Maybe in your home it was Daddy. I don't know what, but that's, that's what this is here. That is, the, that is the intimate relationship we have with the thrice holy God who created this incredible universe is we can call him Abba, Father. We can say Daddy. We can say Papa. Isn't God wonderful? And verse, verse 7, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, an heir of God through Christ. I wish we had time and talk about being an heir of God through Christ. My, my, my. But this is adoption. It's legal. It's a judicial act. It makes us sons of God. The Bible says, to as many as received him, uh, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John chapter 1, verse 12. Speaking of that inheritance, uh, I, I, am told, I am told that the inheritance rights of the adopted are as strong legally or stronger than the natural born child of those same parents. Amen. Folks, I'm a child of the king. I'm a son of God. And I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Why? Because of, because of adoption. Because of adoption. A little boy uh, who had been adopted was in school. And you know how, how cruel children can be. 
And so some of the kids found out he was adopted. They started making fun of him. And they started telling him, you know, he was no good and all this other stuff. And so he'd come home one day and he was pretty upset. And his mom asked what was wrong. And he explained what the kids were saying to him. So that evening, mom and dad sat down with him and lovingly explained how, look, we, we wanted a little boy and, and we went through everything and, and, and all the process that it took place legally and financially and everything else. And we, we picked you. We wanted you. And so the little boy felt better about that, and he went to school the next day. And pretty soon, someone started picking on him again. And he said, look, he looked, he said, look, he says, yeah, I'm adopted. He said, he says, he says, my parents picked me. Your parents had to take what they could get. <laughs> Amen. Let's look at one more. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. How are we doing? Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we'll look at one more here this morning. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. The Bible says, In whom, speaking of Christ, we have redemption through his Son, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, see, I'm not doing that any, enough justice here, so let's back up to verse 12 and catch the context, because again, it reinforces the idea of salvation being a present possession. But the Bible says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, past tense, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. It's already taken place. It's already taken place. You've been delivered from the power of darkness, and you've been translated into the kingdom of his dear Son. You're already there. We'll talk more about that later. And by the way, if you've been delivered from the power of darkness... Don't act like you're part of the powers of darkness. Uh, in my lifetime, I've been in the ministry 45 years. In the last 15 years or so, I'm going to say 15. I'll be conservative. Maybe it's been 20. But what all this business on the Internet, you know, Facebook and, and MySpace and SpaceFace and um, Twitter and Tweeter and whatever else is going on. And someone said there's a new one. What's up? What's up? Or is that what's up? I can't keep up anymore. I, I don't understand a, a, a Christian. Uh, some of you young people, especially girls, need to think about this. This is, this is a more female problem than is a male problem. You can see I am not woke. There's nothing woke about me at all. Okay? Now, men do this too. But I, I notice more girls than men want to do this. You come here and you act like a Christian. Then you get on the Internet and to read what you have to say about yourself we would all think you were a Satanist. What, why don't you make up your mind? <laughs> I don't get it. You've been delivered from the power of darkness. And you've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. You're a child of light. And the Bible says if you're saved, you're already there. Amen? If you're saved, you're already there. And so we've been bought back. By the way, the new Bibles changed this verse too. Wouldn't you know it? And in Colossians chapter 1.14, look at the verse. In whom we have redemption. And then it goes on to say even the forgiveness of sins. What did they leave out? Through his blood. Through his blood. I, I pointed this out to someone one time. 
uh, I, I don't know if it was a uh, NASV or NIV or which, which ver version it was, that took, took the blood out of ever. Oh, but the blood is in lots of other verses in the New Testament. Yeah, there's 14 direct references to the blood of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And uh, uh, how, many, how many can you take out before you have none? Oh, 14, yeah. And uh, the TEV, today, uh, uh, the, the, uh, today's English version, um, and, and that, that one's been a, around for a while. Uh, they're 0 for 14. The blood is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of the churches that have these purged hymn books where they took all the songs about the blood of Christ out because it offends people. It offends people. Uh, you see what's going on? But folks, we're redeemed. We're bought back by the blood of Jesus Christ. We, as a race of people, were once gods back in the garden and, and, and lost. But through the blood of Christ, we could be bought back. And uh, a story is told about a little boy that carved a, uh, carved a, a little wooden boat. And he put a, little, put a little sail on it. And he was floating it down the river near where he lived. And he was walking along the shore. And the thing got away from him. And long story short, he lost it. And... Uh, he thought it was gone. He thought it was gone. And, and, and several months later, he saw it in the window of a secondhand store in the town where he lived. He saw his boat. And he got all excited and he ran in there and he bought it back. And he bought it back. And you know what? He was glad to pay whatever he had to pay to have it back. And you know, God did that with us. I, I brought this piece of roadkill here this morning. This is a hockey goaltender's chest protector from the uh, 1970s. And uh, as far as stopping pucks and protecting you from pucks that are shot hard, it is little more than wishful thinking. <laughs> okay? And uh, the story behind this Ties right in with what we're talking about. And, and we'll close with this. Um, when I went off to Bible school in 1970-75, um, I played on a team in the city of Des Plaines uh, for one year when I was going to college, in a local college. It was called the Des Plaines Knights. And I had all this equipment, and I was going to Bible school, and I was moving to Florida, and I thought, well, uh, that's it for hockey. So I sold all my gear off. And part of what I sold was this. Now, this thing, man, I'll tell you what, it is not very protective. These green things here, my mom sewed those on for me because the arm protection along with this was two-piece, and you'd get a puck would get in there and hit you in the, I guess they call them the pecs. Is that the pecs there? The pecs. And, man, you'd be, you'd be in the net speaking Chinese. And uh, so there's that there. And I got... I got my name. I don't know why in the world I don't do this anymore. Honestly, I don't. But I got my name on here. It says DeMichael. And then it's got my phone number. Of course, then they had the area code. Area code then in, 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 the, in the suburbs of Chicago was 312. And, and at 299-8395. I can't believe that. And I had a phone number. I don't know why. Maybe I thought someone was going to steal this smelly thing. <laughs> but there it was. And, and so I went to Bible school and I sold it. I got rid of it along with all my other equipment. And forgot all about it. And then 
Um, I, want, I want to say it was probably 1995. 1995. Uh, a good 20 years later. Uh, I'm, in a, I'm, in a, I'm in a play it again sports store in Schaumburg, a western suburb from where I was raised in Des Plaines. And uh, there's a lot of houses and a lot of businesses and a, and a lot of stuff between Des Plaines and Schaumburg. And I, I'm in this second, second-hand store, and I, I always wander over so if they have any hockey gear, and I'm looking around through it, and I'm digging around through this hockey gear, and underneath everything else I was pulling apart, I saw my name and phone number there. <laughs> what, what is it? And I dug it out, and there it was, my old chest protector. And you want to know something? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use this now. I wouldn't, the only reason I'm still playing is because the stuff we got now is way better than this. But you know what? And, and I made the mistake of expressing my excitement to the guy behind the cash register. <laughs> so you can just imagine, I did, was not able to negotiate any discount on the price, even though it was not likely they were ever going to sell this to anybody except for me. But you want to know something? This ratty-looking thing, there was enough sentimental value there. Are you ready for this? That I went ahead and paid more than it was worth. Because it had been mine at one time. And I was buying it back. And you know what God did? You know what God did? You were lost. And he got digging around through a pile of junky equipment. And he saw you. And he said, you know, he used to be mine before he fell. She used to be mine before she fell. And you know what? I'm going to have to pay more than they're worth. But I love them, and I'm going to pay it. And the Bible says, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and no one else looking around, how many would express by the uplifted hand, say, Preacher, I've been redeemed. I know Christ is my personal Savior. I, I got in on this thing. I got in on this thing. Would you just slip your hand up, please? Thank you. All right, you may put your hands down. That looked like most everybody, but there might have been somebody. Say, preacher, I couldn't raise my hand. I've, I can't say that I've been redeemed, but I am concerned about my soul. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody here this morning? By the uplifted hand, you just, thank you. Thank you back there. Thank you. Both of you there right there in front of the sound booth. Anybody else? I can't honestly say, thank you, sir. I see that hand. Yes. Anybody else? I'm concerned about my soul, and I can't honestly say that I've ever been redeemed. I do have a concern. Preacher, would you pray for me? Amen. Well, Christians, we should have a greater appreciation, I hope, just contemplating these great truths and go, go from here and tell others about a wonderful Savior. And if you're here this morning and God has spoke to your heart and, and you're not sure or you know you're not saved, I, I believe this morning's a divine appointment. I, I believe God brought you here for a reason. And I'm going to pray for you, and I'm not going to single you out in any way. It's your call as to whether you want to respond. But I would encourage you, as soon as we start singing here, to step out of your seat and come on forward. We'll have somebody here in the front 
and they can answer any questions you might have, take you off to a room in the side. And if you'd like, you can have a word of prayer and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's all there is to it, folks. It's not about baptism. It's not about joining this church. It's not becoming a Baptist. We wouldn't waste your time with that. It's about meeting a wonderful Savior by faith who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask as the invitation is given and we sing this song, that you'd speak especially to those that don't know you and they're concerned and they want to know you. Help them, Lord. Give them the courage to come forward. Give them the courage to tap the person sitting next to them on the shoulder and say, excuse me, I need to get this taken care of. And Father, for your people this morning that already know you, Lord, help us to go forth from this place excited about the things of God. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 335. Number 335. If God spoke to you this morning, you need to come. Please come. Please come. The altar is open, and there's people here that want to help you. Number 335. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Child and forever I am Redeemed and so happy in Jesus No language my rapture can tell I know that the light of His presence With me doth continually dwell Redeemed, redeemed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Child and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the once again in a spirit and attitude of prayer as the instruments play and we'll finish this song up in just a moment and the invitation will be over now maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ maybe you raised your hand and I'm going to keep my promise I'm not going to I'm not going to single you out but I'm going to ask you to consider something maybe you're not ready to trust Christ maybe this doesn't make enough sense to you yet or you don't really feel under conviction for sin and but I would ask you if that's the case, I'm going to ask you to pursue. I'm going to ask you to pursue. And ask God if this isn't true, that his son died for you and offers you a free gift of eternal life. But maybe you're here this morning and you, and you would like to receive Christ and you just couldn't see your way to an altar in front of all these people. All right? Then right where you stand, with your head bowed 
and your eyes closed. Would you be willing to do this in your heart before God? Admit to him that you're a sinner and that you violated his holy law and you deserve punishment as a result of that. And then would you acknowledge to him that he sent his son to die for your sins on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day? And would you now by faith receive him into your heart? Maybe you could pray a prayer something like this, and it's not the words of the prayer, but it's the intent of the heart that God will hear. Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for my sins. I now, the best way I know how, receive him as my personal savior. I thank you for his death. I thank you for his burial. And I thank you for his resurrection in my behalf. And I'm gonna take you at your word this morning. And I'm gonna ask him to be my savior from sin. And I'm gonna do this on the basis of your word, your Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did that this morning, either here in this building or looking in live stream, let me encourage you to do something. Tell somebody, tell somebody today, tell somebody this morning that you received Christ as your personal Savior. The Bible says, the heart believeth unto righteousness, but the mouth confesses unto salvation. Tell someone else about it. You'll be glad you did. Let's finish up this song. What, what verse are we on? Number four. Fourth verse. Fourth verse. I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose light he lied, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. Redeem, redeem, redeem by the blood of the Lamb. Child and forever I am. Man, Brother Jeff Williams, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer, please? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you found us on that, that junk pile, Lord, and yet you still loved us. And we praise you for your mercy and your grace this morning and for the salvation that's only found in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to go from this place today declaring the truth of your gospel to everyone we encounter. Lord, continue to work in the hearts of those who are still questioning and thinking about this. And Lord, help us to please you in all we do. We give you the honor and glory and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.